Hey guys, what's up? It is week 347, and I'm here to do some reviews for you, have a little update for you. Um, first and foremost, I want to let you guys know, they've been getting some medicine for like my whole, like I had the whole liver issue, so they gave me some meds. They still haven't figured out exactly what's going on. They actually put me on like some uh, anti-inflammatory steroid, so if you notice like some acne or, or some weight gain and stuff like that, that's kind of what's going on. Um, it's, I don't know if it's permanent. I'll keep you guys updated. I'm also having uh, oral surgery, some gum work done. So I, I'm planning on continuing. I don't know next Friday what, what, what I'll sound like or what I'll look like, but just give you guys a heads up. Let's hop into the reviews. And the first up is from Film Masters, and this is a double feature here. This first one is The Tear on here. Um, the other one is Little Shop of Horrors. Tear is 1963. Little Shop of Horrors is 1960. Both directed by Roger Corman, of course, two low-budget features. So The Tear stars Boris Karloff and Jack Nicholson. You know what? And this one, I had actually never seen The Tear. And it's kind of like Corman's gothic kind of phase before the post stuff are actually around the same time as the post off he was he's a very busy guy in the early 60s so um his first so basically what happens here is jack nicholson is a soldier and it's a period piece and he gets kind of stranded on this island uh, kind of off of the beach and he almost drowns chasing this woman into the water a bird attacks him. he starts to be very confused he gets saved by this old woman and he ends up kind of going to this like kind of little shack uh isolated and he's kind of hallucinating everything leads him back to this castle with boris karloff there and and he starts to question Karloff and his helper and Dick Miller, and he starts to kind of un- kind of figure out some things about everything that's going on. There's a mystery, of course. It do- definitely reminds me of kind of like the Poe cycle a little bit, but it also reminds me of stuff like a Mario Bava with the colors and the castles. And a lot of this movie was basically directed by like four directors at the time, people doing different pieces. Monty Hellman had a piece. Francis Ford Coppola had a piece. Um, there's a lot of great commentary. There's a lot of great stories on here. There's a featurette. See, uh, Courtney Joyner's talking about how, you know, Karloff basically um taught kind of a Nicholson one thing about how to read a script. That's basically what he did. And also on top of that, they talk about Francis Ford Coppola and Jack Nicholson's uh, relationship. Interesting stuff, of course. Um a- as well as it, as it progresses, you know, we we kind of learn a little bit more about all the characters and learn that it's not exactly as it seems. Dick Miller is also in here as the helper. I don't know if I mentioned that. Dick Miller is, you know, pretty much uh, you know, Roger Corman's lucky charm. Joe Dante would pick him up and use him in a bunch of stuff as well. But uh a- anyways, uh the tear I thought was pretty decent. I had never seen it. Nicholson's good. He's young. Um and and overall, um he's kind of got a weird kinetic energy about him in this one. Uh this one's in color. It looks pretty good. A lot of the sets re, re- used from a bunch of movies including um geez the haunted palace is in there uh, some of the poe movies are in there well the haunted palace was kind of a poe movie even though it's based on a lovecraft story but it's the post of the title so you know it has all that kind of interesting stuff on there as far as the special features are concerned we have a full commentary by c courtney joiner and david steve heiberman that's good ghost in the machines art and uh, artifice in roger corman cellulite castle a visual essay by howard s Berger and kevin marr the flying uh machis brothers so that's really nice to see that um interesting stuff learning about corman and how he made all these movies Movies. Uh, overall, the terror was a nice watch. It looks really good. Um, thing is about these film masters, a lot of these movies have never really had the time of day to be remastered this well. So it's nice to finally see them get done really well like this. So yeah, the terror, it's, it's worth checking out, especially if you're a Corman fan. That's one of the ones that I had not seen. 
Okay, I'm going to be kind of brief with this second one. I've talked about this one before on here. It's, of course, The Little Shop of Horrors, 1960. I love The Little Shop of Horrors. I know it's not considered a great movie. It's remade in the 80s, 86, with, you know, a bunch of, you know, people in there, Rick Moranis. It's, it's a very entertaining, great musical. Uh, one of the more popular ones. It was a stage play, a musical deal. Anyways, Little Shop of Horrors, 1960, uh, has Mel Wells in it, who pops up in a really silly movie from 1980 called Dr. Heckle, Mr. Hype, which is, you know, Oliver Reed and kind of a nutty professor, Dr. Jekyll story. So this one, it follows the story of uh, this kind of lowly kind of loser guy on Skid Row. He works at a flower shop and he ends up trying to make his own kind of magic flowers. He gets these seeds from Japan and he mixes them. And what happens is he creates Audrey too. He names Audrey after, you know, the the woman he works with who he likes. And uh, Audrey too ends up growing into this giant evil talking Venus flytrap that has to eat people, right? Feed me, feed me Seymour, of course. This one's not the musical, so it doesn't have a lot of the fun energy. It's very cheap, very low budget. Mel Wells is hilarious as Mushnick. He's the guy who runs the shop. He, he's just, his dialogue is great. His mannerisms are great. He's always on. You can always, ready for a joke, always ready to deliver charisma through the roof for an independent feature. Um, uh, Seymour's mom is hilarious in this. She's a part that's not in the remake, and uh, she's a hypochondriac, and the food she serves, a lot of good gags with that. Little Shop of Horrors is uh, Dick Miller's eating plants and flowers. It's a dirt cheap movie. It's very funny. It's not without its charm. I think a lot of people will not like it because it's just so low budget and it was made like I think uh, you know on a weekend or something like that with a couple bucks that they had sparingly. But uh, it's just really nice to see that this is a bonus HD print of Little Shop of Horrors. I don't think I had an HD print. I didn't have a Blu-ray or anything like that. The old kind of uh, raft track, riff tracks of it or something like that. But regardless, Little Shop is a great movie. I have always enjoyed it. I actually prefer it over the tear. Um, so if that makes any sense to anybody but anyways I, I would recommend the double feature here the special features on the little shop of horrors is uh we have a commentary of course by justin humphreys and little shop star jo- jonathan hayes and we have a hollywood intruders the film group story part two an original bollywood motion pictures production those are really interesting i think part one was on the uh, disc I, I covered before so if you like uh you know roger corman stuff and I, I don't think you i don't know why you'd watch this channel if you didn't check out the tear and little shop of horrors good stuff okay next up is gonna be satanic hispanics and this is from Epic uh, Dread Central uh, pictures, and this is an anthology, and basically the only thing that ties them together besides a wraparound is that they're all Hispanic directors, which is cool. It's cool, but uh, first and foremost, let me say this about anthologies. I've been saying this for a long time. If it's not the same core group of people making the movie, you know, if it's not everybody on the same page from the very beginning, a small group of directors, maybe probably just one, maybe two, uh, all these filmmakers together making all the shorts together, it, it always seems a little sloppy. Now, this is basically five shorts, um, and here's the problem again. I'm going to sit here and try to think of all the, all the shorts and everything like that, and I won't remember all of them. Not because any are that much better than the other ones, but maybe there's just some that are forgettable. That is the problem with a lot of modern-day anthologies, um, is that there's so many shorts in here, uh, and a lot of them are on for, they're forgettable, they're not connected, they're disjointed. Tonally, they're all over the place. You'll have one funny, one serious, one scary, all that kind of stuff like this. And plus, I watched two kind of Hispanic or oriented kind of, uh, you know, anthologies this week. So this is going to be a lot. Um, so a- as a whole, I'll say this. Um, the first short starts off, and it is um, the director here, uh, Damien Rungna. 
Rugna directed um, Terrified, which is an excellent movie from South America. I can't remember exactly what country. Argentina, if I'm not mistaken. And he's a great director. He did where Evil Lurks this year as well. Um, just an all-around great director. His short is obviously very much him. It's very creepy. It's very scary. It's very much like Terrified. I would recommend that short. And then we kind of jump into the next short, which is a comedic one, which is about a vampire trying to get home before it gets light. This is funny. This is cute. This is uh, silly. Made me laugh a couple times. I'm enjoying myself here. The wraparound in the very beginning starts off well. You know, it starts off with like agents kind of invading and this horrible murder scene and all these kind of things. And as the shorts progress, the, the, the wraparound falls apart until the very ending, which is a big action set piece. But at first, you kind of have this connection, the character, the traveler is trying to connect all the stories. But as it goes on, they're just completely not close. They just don't make any sense, and they don't go together. And the wraparound putting him, trying to make them go together, just doesn't work, to be honest. And then also we have a story in here which kind of feels like, uh, basically, it's a story about somebody being kind of sacrificed in a certain way uh, to like kind of these old god kind of deals and like this kind of primitive like tribe thing. That one's fine. That one's decent. Um, and then the the final story here is one that I don't even remember. And I know that's shitty to say, and it's terrible to be like that, but but it's it's true. And it doesn't mean it's any worse than the other ones. It just means that there is tons of stuff going on in these anthologies, and they all just kind of bleed together into one kind of movie, even if they don't feel like they fit together, like tonally or anything in that in that vein. Um, so, so there's five shorts, like I said, including the wraparound, and at the very end, the um, the wraparound. Okay, the final short came to me finally, right? I just talking about it. It's it's basically about a kind of a a, fan, a group of people that were cursed on a trip. And they're all like these kind of these items, these relics and things like that. But and and there's a couple good gags in here. There's a couple funny moments in here. And a couple times it did get me to laugh out loud. But this story has a huge problem where it's basically like two big chunks of exposition dialogue and there's nothing else happening in this short. That's pretty much the whole entire thing. And the ending is the same way. The wraparound comes back and it's just this huge jump drop of exposition. And and there's a giant shootout with this really cool creature on the front, and that's fun. That's that's in, embraced in in the film. But overall, overall, they don't go together. Like if you were to take one of these shorts and put them on there, you'd be like, okay, that was fine. That was good. It could be good. Uh, the Rungas is good. Uh, the the vampire is fine. Um, the third short is, is is okay as well, although it's more like just completely different tone. So and then the the, the final is is probably the weakest, and then we have the wraparound. None of them are terrible on their own, but together they do not work. And I, I, that sounds really weird to say, but they don't. It just doesn't really mesh. It's not a horrible release. It's not a horrible movie or anything in that vein, but it's just a, an anthology that doesn't really feel like it should be an anthology. It almost feels like a, a wraparound that was forcefully made to make these shorts fit, which is 90% of anthologies now, to be honest. Ever since you know we had the VHS, which some of those are great, or the ABCs of Death, we have these so many of these fucking just short compilations, and, and they're not anthologies. A short compilation is not an anthology. The wraparound might fit, you know, sometimes they make a good one, but I mean, like a true anthology, like something like Trick or Treat or even Creepshow, you know, that's a, it's, it's, or the Amicus movies, they feel like anthologies. A lot of new ones do not. So, Satanic Hispanics, it's okay. Um, it's up to you. You know, I, I'm not trying to sell a shit down on this, but I didn't love it. I, I, I wouldn't revisit. Okay, the next one here is uh, from Honored Films, and this is Mexico Barbario 2. Now, I did not see the first one, but um, it's a horror anthology as well as the last one, and this contains nine shorts, and this does not have a wraparound, so it literally is just a shorts compilation, um, and it has no wraparound. Like I said, they just play. So, um, ranging on the shorts here, we have one where a character is wrongfully accused of something he didn't do. He kind of is sent to hell, and he gets his revenge 
fair short, good short. Um, the next one is um, basically uh, a ghost story, if I'm not mistaken, and it's very generic ghost story with the jump scares that you would expect, color drained. Um, it does have some kind of haunting quality about it as a ghost story, but it's, it's it's just really weak. It's probably the weakest of the bunch. It's just very generic, very, very typical. You know, hey, we see this in the distance, and then we look back, and then boom, they're right in front of your car window. It's like, okay. I, I It's just not poorly done. It's just you've seen it a million times, and if you watch a lot of horror movies like I do, you'll just roll your eyes at it. Not poorly made. Just boring. Um, and then we have a short here about kind of a family getting revenge on a horrible patriarch, uh, a patriarchal, terrible father kind of character figure. Um, this one's entertaining. It's funny. It's goofy. There's some CGI in there. That's not great, but overall this one is kind of, kind of, kind of worth your time. I, I think it's fun. Um, and then we're kind of like kind of bleed in where I'm like, now let me try to remember all these. Right. So we have one with a, a supermodel, um, which is, is, is short, well-made, well-directed, really good. I mean, as far as it is, made wise it's decent it's a solid one it's creepy it's all right i enjoyed that one to to a certain extent um and then we have one where a girl gets revenge on some bully girls this one's probably the most fun some crummy cgi but besides that there's some good practical effects as well one where somebody looks just like the the beetlejuice ghost when they're they're resurrected they're they're brought then exercised one looks just like that um so so that one's really cute really funny there's a nice payoff i would say that one's worth your time as well and then lex ortega who directed um, that really gnarly movie, Atros, or Atros, um, he does one. And his is the strongest. It's the final one in here. And it is bar none the strongest in, in, the, in the anthology. Um, and this one is the one that I think kind of takes the cake for just being completely twisted. Um, it's just about a heroin addict, um, but she kind of goes into hell and she starts to sell. It's, it's like a weird kind of mixture of a demon and, and drug abuse and all these kind of things. It looks really crisp, too. Whatever it was shot with, however it was shot, looks dr- looks very, you know, like sad and morose but not just simply shittily drained of color like the second one it it has a certain aesthetic to it and i think it really works it's the most messed up it's it's the goriest i think it's the best of the bunch it's a great short by lex ortega um so so like i said how many did i cover right there like six or seven as nine but like when you think about it you can't remember every single one of them um and and i I hate to do that like that's what i'm looking at here but i think that the standouts would definitely be lex ortega's which is a really good short um, excellently well made. I think that the can the kind of crazy cannibal family one is also fun. The bullying friend one is good. Um, and, and like the other ones kind of range in quality. There's only one short in this entire one that I did not care for. Um, the rest I think are, are worth watching or checking out. Um, and I think I prefer this one, honestly, I, I prefer this one over over satanic hispanics i prefer mexico uh barbario 2 over that and i think that i know why it's on earth lex ortega did you know atros and there's some other kind of hardcore stuff in here there's some extras too there's four of the featurettes uh, f- one, uh five of the films have short little featurettes that are worth your time anyways i enjoyed this i, I think i like this one you know I- i'd probably put this one a little above like i said the satanic hispanics and i'd give it a recommend i, I like it okay next we're going to talk about the sherlock holmes all the surviving episodes of the bbc series sir arthur conan doyle starring peter Cush- of course, and Nigel Stock as Dr. Watson. And I'm going to talk about these as a whole. I'm not going to break down all six episodes, but for the most part, there is a, you know, a one-two-parter. So we have, of course, the first episode. I, I can't remember. It was a Scarlet. Cheese. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to remember all the names of the episodes. I am not the foremost expert on Sherlock Holmes or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But uh, as far as this, I watched this around you know Christmas time, Christmas Eve and everything. And the last episode was perfect because it took place on Christmas Eve. So um, there's basically... 
three episodes that stand out for me um, uh, out of the entire series. The first episode I thought was really solid, really good. Uh, kind of follows uh, this drunk asshole um, who is basically murdered, and we're kind of figure out why he is murdered and everything like that. Of course, it leaves it to Peter Cushing as um, Sherlock Holmes, who played him in the Hound of Baskersville Hammer film from the 50s, which is one of the better Hammer films, I would say so, and a great, great uh, Sherlock Holmes. So essentially what happens is um, Sherlock Holmes and uh, every, every episode opens up. So there's six here. There's six that were lost. Every episode opens up with a kind of like some little stinger, and then we have like Peter Cushing and, uh, and uh, Watson sitting there talking, reading the paper, and they're kind of discussing and and there's always something clever that you know Sherlock Holmes will do he'll be like oh well this guy's coming up and he's going to be and somebody comes in from the case and they go figure it out so this first one involves kind of a, a character that uh, you know is kind of shady and it was a, a drunkard and just a, a, a womanizing piece of crap I, I, I like this one and uh, we go to the second episode and this is probably the better better of the bunch because this is the two-parter. This is probably the best. This is maybe it's my second favorite. This is the Hound of Baskersville, the Hounds of Baskersville, and this is a two-parter. And uh, we, of course, you guys know the story of that. We have um, essentially uh, a guy in Henry whose family is always killed, and they believe it to be cursed. They believe these kind of giant ancient dogs. But of course, you know it's a gothic story, so there's going to be somebody on the outside trying to come in and take it out. This one doesn't have as much Sherlock Holmes because a big chunk of it he's gone. He's disappeared appeared and they leave it up to Watson to protect Henry. So they have the Moors here too, which is really an interesting kind of setback, a drop back on these because it's these kind of big mountainous landscapes with a lot of swampy wetness, which plays a major factor into this story, of course. And we also have an escaped convict. Like I said, we have possible hounds that are out there. Um, overall, this is a really great story. This is a really great rendition. I really do like Peter Cushing as uh, Sherlock Holmes. And I think this ending, it works really well, but I think it's hilarious that Sherlock Holmes just lets this guy at the very and what happens. I mean, that's what happens, but it's just funny. Um, and then the last story, the last one that I think really stands out, of course, is the final one that takes place on Christmas, which actually doesn't have a murder in it. There's no murder to be solved. It's kind of a story of a stolen jewelry, where uh, um, Sherlock Holmes is kind of forced by this rich lady to figure it out. But it, it gets really elaborate with geese and everything like that, and you get to see a human side of Sherlock Holmes. And again, you get to see Peter Cushing scream. Um, this is from the Cushing Curiosities box set. You get to see him yell at one point. And I, I find it very interesting um, that, you know, Sherlock Holmes in here has like a human side to it because you always kind of seem like Sherlock Holmes might be like autistic or something. Like he's just on that kind of like next level. And I know he's been portrayed that. And then and, and they say like, Cushing really doesn't portray it that way, and I, I really don't see him portraying it that way either. But uh, yeah, he's really he's a really solid Sherlock Holmes. Um, I really love him in this. And and the, my least favorite, I will point out, is the one kind of with the the pygmy character with the poison darts. I think that one's really weird and really bizarre, and doesn't fit with the tone of the rest of the series. To be honest, it's a little just out there. And I know these are all based off stories, but that just doesn't really fit, to be honest. It's just bizarre. Um, and the special features are great because we have audio commentaries for all the episodes featuring Kim Newman and uh, Barry Forshaw, and that's great. Uh, they talk a lot about Sherlock Holmes. They talk about his mannerisms. They talk about how he stacks up to other Sherlock Holmes. They talk about, you know, the last episode being kind of fitting because, you know, it's the, the not having the murder and all that kind of stuff. We also have all episodes available with the BBC Clock Down Clock, Illustrated Peter Cushing Audio Interview with David Stewart Davies, and Missing Episodes. Uh, clips with optional commentary by Jonathan Rigby and that's that's interesting as well and Kevin Lyons um, because we see clips of them these episodes that are lost and it's crazy to think that so much stuff is lost to time like everybody thinks that just imagine watching this show growing up and they're like no it's gone like oh I watched that I watched that series live and now it's gone you're never going to see those episodes again they're lost to time the tapes were erased nobody recorded them 
it's weird. It's so weird that not one person in the world would have these. You know, it's 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 before you could record this stuff too. Just anyways, it's bizarre. Anyways, I I love this box set, this Cushing Curiosities. I showed it. I'm just going to show the Sherlock Holmes this time. Um, one of the better box sets I think Severance put out, but I, I think I they do really good box sets to be honest. I mean, a lot of these companies are just going the next step with their box sets. This is one of them. Uh, love Peter Cushing. Um, I've had my dose of Peter Cushing for this like last couple weeks. Tons of him. Um, good way to spend Christmas Eve watching Sherlock Holmes solve some murder mysteries. You know, you could do a lot worse. But anyways, love this stuff. Good stuff, Sherlock Holmes. Okay, so my Terror Vision order came in, and I had to watch one of them. And so the first one I decided to pop in was Killer, 1989-1990. I had a, a, a Blu-ray that the, they released themselves that I never got to check out. But, uh, you know, I, I just was like, well, I want to watch the new version from Terrorvision. So I had heard very little about the movie. The movie didn't have much on it. I know it was a regional kind of low-budget horror film. Um, it was a shot on 16, maybe even Super 8. Very cheap. Uh, Terrorvision remastered it as much as they could. I, I didn't look great, but I imagine that's as, as good as they can get it. Terrorvision kind of sometimes will put out stuff that's only on uh, only with tape masters and everything, and I think this probably was film masters. Very, very beat-up film masters, or very, very, very good tape masters. Either one or the other. Can't really tell. So, uh, essentially, this movie starts off really quick. There's, there's two versions on here. We have the original VHS version, which appears the credits are just much longer uh, about an hour and 20 minutes and then this version's about an hour and nine minutes uh the main version on here so it starts off pretty quick we we're introduced to these characters this killer um uh fair in the worst first five ten minutes or so and he just kind of non-stop is killing and, and and just going around these small towns it reminds me a lot of confessions of a serial killer from 1985 the henry lucas movie um just how uh nonchalant he is about the killings but it does kind of focus a little bit more on the gore he uses he's not afraid to use a gun which makes it feel like a true serial killer or a true degenerate kind of killer like a, a criminal drifter or something like that like watching this it felt more realistic than a lot of the serial killers or horror movies i did watch um so he basically over time the main focus is a group of friends uh, a couple of them you know they're like playing baseball in the beginning of them we kind of focus on them the the young kid whose parents died in a tragic accident we kind of see him and his uncle at the gas station and his girlfriend and his best friend they're kind of like the main characters besides our killer and our killer has this weird energy about him he's, he's charisma when he has to but he's also very creepy and he's very clever you know how he kills he's very good about that um and, and there's parts of this movie where we kind of get uh, inside look at the killer and the, the tagline, what's the tagline on here? I, I really like the tagline of the, the movie because it plays in effect. Without a soul, you can't get into heaven, but you can't go to hell either. And you kind of get a glimpse of his childhood. Reminds me of Nightmare in a Damaged Brain or something along those lines where you see like, you know, his family, like a, a horrible, like it's exactly that kind of in a way, just not as not as extreme. And um, and there's one point when he's, he has somebody tied up and he's kind of just babbling on, kind of siliquizing, and he's like, you know, when I was in a hospital, they drilled holes in my head. And they said my soul escaped. So I can't go to heaven. But I can't go to hell either. And you're just like, oh shit, this guy's nuts. And you're just like, he just feels real. He feels like a real killer. Um, and even though the movie gets a little crazy, a little over the top at points, I think that this movie is at a breakneck speed. And maybe the 110 minute version is. But it just never stops. It's got that gritty look about it. I liked most of the characters, even though they're kind of not super well developed. But I mean, you know who they are. I really liked the, the uncle at the gas station. I felt like, you know, he was kind of a hard ass when it came to yelling at his kid. But overall, you know, w when you see kind of like behind the scenes and he's talking about, he's like, oh, he's a good kid. You know, he's just had it rough. And he was like, oh, he's, he's all right guy, you know. Um, overall, I like this. 
I thought this was really good. Um, just low budget regional charm. Uh, these guys worked on Evil Dead 2. Uh, Elwood, the director, he mentions that in the special features. He was working on Evil Dead 2, and he said something about was it Sam Raimi or one of the guys in Evil Dead 2 just said, make sure you use a lot of blood. They like blood. So that's definitely in here. And there's a couple pretty graphic murder scenes. You get a decapitation. And the very ending leaves it open for a sequel. I would have watched 20 of these killer movies. Killer. Uh, but anyways, I really like this. I thought this was good. This is a nice one. Uh, it's one that I'd passed me by for years. I, I'd seen the cover, I think, but I never never bit the bullet on it. But uh, yeah, so so here we go here. Um, this is a 2K transfer from the original um negatives as well but so we have director's commentary and then we also have original vhs presentation we have the making of killer trailers interview with cast and crew bloopers and outtakes dumb 30 featurette y2k featurette newly created captions so very cool i would recommend it uh 1990 uh it's an underrated year i know people hate the 90s when it comes to horror films but 1990 is a much better year than you would expect i mean you have misery jacob slatter nightbreed night of living dead remake tremors um this one uh dozens of other movies too ghoulies go to college hey you gotta love ghoulies go to college am i right am i right i'm right i'm right but uh killer i, I think uh yeah i enjoyed it i would check it out from terrorvision um i do i'm they put out some crazy shit and they're putting out some stuff that I always I liked, like End of the Line and Slashers and stuff. So I've been I've been trying to pick up as many as I can when I can. So yeah, good stuff. All right, guys, we're gonna hop into those 1981 movies. Me. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born, all the shock and the horror was there. Or the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. Okay, the first up is Warp Speed. And this is kind of a sci-fi, you know, uh, the shadow of aliens still looming over the early 80s, of course. And we have Warp Speed here. Uh, this is in the same line of Galaxy of Terror or something along those lines, or that creature wasn't nice from this year. So, Warp Speed. Is it Warp Speed or Time Speed? Time Warp. See, there's two movies, same directors, both TV movies, Warp Speed and then Time Warp. I think Warp Speed is the more horror-oriented one that I'm talking about. I just want to double-check. So, uh, essentially, this doesn't have too many, like, big names in it. A couple recognizable faces. The lead guy from Scared to Death, I think, is in this. That's where I recognized him. And a couple other. Adam West, of course, is in here. So this is a strange one. This is kind of like the alien, right? Like, they, they guess the these guys are hired, this space crew, to figure out what happened to this other space crew. They bring on a psychic, a space psychic, and they hook her up basically to this, and she's got to kind of wander around this other spaceship and figure out what the fuck happened. So she's getting glimpses of everything that's happened, and at first we see this whole group of people that are kind of decent, and, and then like, they're alright, you get their, their personalities and everything like that, but as it progresses, we learn what happened, what caused them to die and disappear off this ship. And as it goes further and further, and more people dwindle, dwindle, she gets more put at danger that this possibility of her psychologically being damaged almost to a physical point of maybe these things can see her in, in that world it, it gets to that point but overall it's just basically a lot of people kind of hoping this woman's okay i mean seven noids the same year as this 81 more space stuff space horror alien ripoff but uh yeah this one's decent it's a tv movie the acting's all right adam west is good in it. there's a couple points in here basically the whole movie it, it turns into a card game so there's a lot of card games for life and death, and it's a lot of, you know, the characters, kind of all their stuff coming out and everything like that and who they are. Overall, I think it's decent. Um, the ending leaves you kind of wondering exactly how it happened or how this person left this realm. Overall, I like the movie. I think it's interesting. I think it's a good TV space horror film, more sci-fi, but there's definitely horror elements for sure. Um, that is Warp Speed. Um, it gets a lot of bad reviews. I don't think it's nearly as bad as that. I think it's fine. People forget that this is a TV movie. People forget that they would the watch this, renting this, or seeing this in a theater, they would have probably saw it on a rainy Sunday afternoon or like a, a 7 o'clock movie on TV or something like that. Overall, it's alright. I mean, does it compare to some of the better TV movies of all time, like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow? Absolutely not. But does it compare to some of the crap that I've seen on TV? Yeah, absolutely it does. It's a little better than that. So that's Warp Speed. Okay, speaking of TV, this is The Chelsea Murders. Now, this originally, I think, was like a miniseries that was much longer. I think they cut it down and made it into about an hour and 44-minute movie. 
and this is the Chelsea murders. That's the version I watched for 81. So uh, essentially what we have here is this film crew making this low-budget movie. They're struggling to get all their finances. We have some headpieces. We have the director, of course. We have a producer that's there, this kind of rich rich guy who's kind of producing a little bit. Then we have a couple of the people that are working on the film and everything like that. And essentially somebody ends up in the water next to them. Uh, there's kind of like a journalist character as well. So the police officers are kind of focused on this. We kind of follow three police officers. The chief or the guy ahead of it. We have an older detective, then a younger detective. He's got all these zany ideas. So essentially, um, there's a bunch of murders that keep happening. They're not overly graphic. They're not shown in detail. Weird things too. Somebody attacking this woman with a mask. And all their initials kind of point out that they could possibly be like like famous like uh, uh, you know poets and all these things because they're getting these poems and everything. All this kind of weird stuff like that. So it leads them on these kind of chases and everything like that while this film crew is trying to finish their movie but at the same time they're the main killer's target and the killer's wearing a mask and they kind of lure it down to a couple people it's broken up into like four or five parts overall it's a decent murder mystery it's not perfect um and it's not overly gratuitous if that makes any sense um yeah it's all right i don't have that much to say about it i don't think it's the groundbreaking thing i do like the cops in it i think the cops are probably the most fun in the film i think they're the most interesting um and there's a couple points in here i was like wait well how do we get to that you know i mean i don't understand exactly like like weird kind of like dead ends and stuff like that sometimes i i feel like it's just a little clunky but then again i bet how much was cut out maybe 20 30 40 minutes i'm not sure maybe it's three hours i i'm not sure how long the original miniseries ran this is a terrible review dave maybe you should have done some you know research but uh overall i think it's okay um for 1981 i still have a bunch of stuff like the 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 videos to do with a bunch of other people but uh, this one for now you know i'm kind of dwindling down picking off the ones that i can watch on my own it's not very many maybe five or six more and then we're gonna there's a lot more of these like uh guests coming on to do them if i can get them maybe i'll have to do them on my own if, if, if things fall through but overall you know i'm kind of dwindling down chelsea murders is okay warp speed is okay where you know there's a couple more and there's a couple movies you guys know from 81 that you think are horror enough shoot shoot them out to me i i obviously am going to get the heavy hitters and and stuff like you know the the indian dr jekyll bloody birthday a bunch of other ones the burning those ones are all on there ready to go i just gotta find that get the scheduling and all that kind of stuff so yeah Okay, next up is the Patreon pick, and uh, so this is strange. I think this was this is a Jim Simon, or um, and this is Extro. This is Extro from 1982. I know what you're saying. Yes, I am going to count this as 1982 because I'm so close to the end of 1981. So technically, Extro is going to be my first 1982 horror film. There we go. Also, I've noticed while doing some research that the years in the Internet Movie Database do change. They do change occasionally. So. Piranha 2 The Spawning is no longer considered 81 on Internet Movie Database. Neither is One Dark Night by um, Tom McLaughlin. So what I'm going to do is if I'm probably just going to move those to 82. I'm not going to rewatch this every time this happens. You know what I mean? For next year. Um, I'll probably move these three right into 82. So I'll start off 82 with three watches and I'll take two of those watches right off 81. If that makes any sense. I'll, I could possibly have a, have, a, have a guest come on and do Piranha 2 The Spawning or come on and do One Dark Night. But... Most likely it won't be. So let's hop into Extro. Now, Extro is a famous British movie, um, <laughs> infamous pretty much, was released by New Line Cinema, produced by New Line Cinema. And I had never seen the whole thing, Extro. Extro is one of these ones I had on DVD and I popped in a couple times and it was always just too weird and too bizarre at a young age to grasp Extro as a whole. So essentially what we have here is a father and son. They're kind of hanging out and the cottage and um some weird kind of disturbance happens it's a ufo the father is taken we kind of fast forward three years later and now the the wife has moved on 
Um, she has a boyfriend she lives with. The son is still weirded out by the whole incident for good reason, man. His dad was taken by aliens and in front of him. Nobody really believes him, but he's never fully recovered from it. Uh, then one day, this spaceship seems to return. We have this creature, which is highly disgusting, that is infamous on the cover, walking backwards on its arms. Very creepy, very disgusting. Is dropped off. It attacks a couple people. It rapes a woman. And then this woman gives full birth to the father. The father makes his way back home to the kid, and we have this kind of weird relationship dynamic between the husband and wife and the boyfriend and the kid and all this weird shit going on. Um, the father starts to take the kid under his wing more, and he starts to tell him, you're telepath, you're telekinetic, and he has all these powers, and the dad has these powers, and pretty soon the kid starts to run amok, and it turns into something else that's not an alien invasion movie or not a family drama. It turns into something bizarre about this kid bringing his toys to life, about him attacking neighbors in this giant uh, grand apartment uh, so it's a really weird freaking movie and at the very end it gets bonkers and gooey again and gross again and very alien-esque again so again, hey, Alien 2, this is the first 1982 one I'm covering, it does have that influence of Alien, but it's not typically Alien. It's just a bonkers, weird-ass movie where we have, you know, uh, small clowns kind of running around and being bizarre and weird. Um, we have a fucking Jaguar in here, which is, I think, a note from the the uh, producer. I think Robert Shea wanted that Jaguar. Somebody wanted it. It was added in in a weird kind of way. But overall, Extra was just a what-the-fuck kind of movie. It's a weird, bizarre movie. This is uh, the Blu-ray from uh, Germany that was imported. It's like like three discs or something along those lines. It's got a bunch of features on there with like the director and people like that and producers. Um, but uh, I think some of the actors and everything. It's just a weird ass movie. I, I can't give it like a. I do like it and I would rewatch it. I've never seen the sequels. I did, you know, I, I definitely would like a U.S. release. I, I mean, this screams like it needs one. I know I had a Second Sight UK disc put out. But overall, Extra is weird. The special effects are good. And there's rarely any British films that kind of feel like this, to be honest. Um, especially from this time. Thinking from 82. It's kind of a rarity. Um, I really enjoyed it. I definitely would rewatch it. I might rewatch Extra if somebody wants to come on the show and talk about Extra with me for 82. This might be another rewatch, but overall it looks really good on Blu-ray. Sounds good. Unfortunately, it just doesn't have English subs, but hey, that's the price I pay for Extra. Um, regardless, uh, Extra the Mutilator, I always think of when I hear Extra because uh, the podcast, the YouTuber Extra always does that. That's his name, Extra the Mutilator. He, uh, both movies put together is his title. Anyways, uh, yeah, so Extra. Good stuff, weird stuff. I'm glad I finally visited. It was one of the biggest blind spots I had, honestly. I don't know why i never seen it, but here it is, Extra. I checked it out. Weird. All right, guys, let's get in these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Nick Moore from Belgium. Hallelujah. I knew you'd make it, sir. A night of the round table of discussing movies for August Underground's Penance. Or is it the pervert's table? Seriously, though, it's always excellent to see you in behind-the-scenes materials. It makes my home media releases that much better for any Mr. Parker fan. Cushing's Curiosity seems like another superb Severn release. They know how to entice home video media collectors, don't they? Yes, they do. Uh, questions. One, in the UK, they have a tradition of telling ghost stories for Christmas, also on TV. Is there a similar tradition in the U.S.? No. No ghost stories. Scrooge, um, I mean, Scrooge, you know, of course, The Christmas Carol, but that's a British story anyways. I mean, people watch that, and that has ghosts in it. Um, were you scared at all when you first watched The Evil Dead? I sure was, even at 15. I don't think so. I think I saw Evil Dead probably like 12, 10 to 12 in broad daylight. I don't think Evil Dead scared me for some reason. I don't know. Just I might have been like 13. I can't remember when I saw that one. You mentioned Toby Hooper in Horror 1981. Many feel Mr. Hooper's films turned to crap post the 80s. I disagree. I always dug the Mangler. How about you? The thing about Toby Hooper is I think his, his strongest stuff. I mean, uh, I know that uh, we talked I Troy Howarth on Venom. And he's not after. He thinks after basically what Texas Chainsaw 2. He doesn't think Hooper made a good one. I, I like Invaders from Mars. Um, I don't hate the Mangler. The Mangler is really 
really weird. I think spontaneous combustion is a pile of junk. I think it's inept and weird and crappy and boring. Um, I think his, his uh, Master of Horror that I saw was really bad. So, I mean, I do like The Mangler to a certain extent because it's weirdness. So I don't know how I feel about all Toby Hooper's movies after post-80s, but I still need to watch I'm Dangerous tonight from 1990, I believe, the Killer Dress movie by him. So I, I'll get back to you on that. But for the most part, I think that his, his good days were behind him after the 80s for sure, but that's most more directors, right? Um, I sure hope the cats helped you catch and kill the delicious Christmas Eve turkey. Don't know if I had Christmas Eve turkey. What did I have for Christmas Eve? Um, good cheer and see you next year, God willing. Uh, Fetish Magic, happy Xmas, sexy ass Mr. Parga. Thank you. MJ8709, happy holidays. Hope you have a good one and week. Thank you. Quint150, Freddie Mercury lives. Nice luck. Thank you. Explosive Action, hope you had a quality Christmas and got some fine films. Keen to see your top releases of the year video. I'll have mine up in the first few days of the new year i might try to do that too there's a couple i still need to watch i need to watch this fucking martin over here i haven't watched my martin 4k love martin i can't believe i haven't watched it and then we have nick the critic truly a christmas miracle new mr parker video on xmas himself on x on video on christmas himself santa was kind to us uh yeah i got it on christmas so movie junkie reviews 84 i liked blood feast remake and sophie monk it seems she took a break from acting she was good in the hills run red as well and lifeblood here we go. I don't want to spill this coffee. Okay, Merry uh, Irish Steve. Uh, Merry Christmas, Dave, uh, uh, from Ireland. Thank you. And uh, Ilk Vomit, if I remember correctly, the Gorefex and Blood Fuse remake were done by Ryan Nicholson. R.I.P. I think they were. R.I.P. Ryan Nicholson. Uh, J. Mitchell Beard, Merry Christmas. Back at you. Way up, dude. A face red. Uh, yep. Okay, thank you. Coastline, Merry Christmas Day from the U.K. Back at you. And Ken Coakley. This is a long one, so I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Okay. This is in regard to your show two weeks ago. In The Warriors, Thomas G. White waits from The Thing played Fox. His character is supposed to be Mercy's love interest, but Walter Hill felt they had no chemistry, but Deborah Von Voldenberg, who played Mercy, had strong chemistry, and Michael Beck. Fox was a valuable member of The Warriors because he knew which territories belonged to which gangs. Originally, Fox and Mercy were running together, and that would have resulted in the two falling in love, while Swan was captured and tortured by a rival gang. Another idea that was scrapped was Vermin being shot and killed during the party with the Lizzies. Another change was Ajax originally played by Erwin Keyes because the Greek mythology character Ajax was very large. Ajax the greater, Ajax the smaller. Um, but James Remar nailed it in the audition. Keys ended up playing the cop who arrested Ajax. Um, yeah, I was re- they, they mentioned that he wanted more money or, or whatever, but this sounds more accurate. The movie was banned here in Boston as well as The Wanderers, which was released at the same time or at the, around the same time. Aside from having both movies be gang films, and both films are based on best-selling books, the two films are pretty different because The Warriors was an action film while The Wanderers was a coming-of-age drama. Thomas G. Weitz was offered the role in The Wanderers. Eric Roberts was offered a role in The Warriors. On the subject of Jaws 2, I want to get to the Best Buy exclusive 4K. The artwork is beautiful. I saw Jaws 2 on the 4th of July in 78. It came out on the same day as Grease, but Grease, uh, but Jaws 2 had a wider opening. I saw Jaws 2 before I saw the original. Jaws was re-released in 79, and I saw that at the drive-in. Jaws 2 is milder than the original. The reason for 2 being milder is because they had to cut a lot of gore to avoid R rating. Also in the original script, the helicopter pilot and young woman that was killed saving Sean's life was supposed to survive in the original script. Billy Von Sant... Uh, Billy Van Zan, who is married to Adrian Barbeau, plays Major Vaughn's son's best friend. There are a couple movies I revisited recently. One of them is a thriller called Miracle Mile. Excellent movie. Anthony Edwards played a young man who tries to find his girlfriend after learning that a nuclear exchange with Russia has started. The other film is the Mel Brooks film High Anxiety. It was a parody of Hitchcock films. It was hilarious. I sure needed it. My mother passed away a couple weeks ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, I, I remember when uh, my dad died. The thing that helped me, I just put on Seinfeld. 
refunds of Seinfeld is a show that we're, our whole family used to watch together and rewatching Seinfeld just kind of helped me put me in a better mind space. Um, you know, um, that was years ago, but, um, yeah. Anyways, let's hop into this update and let's get at it guys. All right, let's hop into this update. First up 4k, a monster squad. Love this movie. Fred Decker, 87 childhood favorite that grew into a, an adult favorite. You know, I uh, can't wait to watch this in 4k three disc on here. It's got the Wolfman got Nards documentary on there. Very cool. Uh, always love monster squad. Next up, we got Neon City, which has been a long time. Had this on VHS here. Michael Ironside, Vanity, Lyle Aldazo, uh, who died, unfortunately, very young. Vanity dead, too. Very young. Unfortunate. But this is a fun post-apocalyptic movie. Gotta love Ironside. It's been a long time since I watched this one. Look forward to seeing it on Blu-ray. Then we got Conga. That's right, Conga. This movie is hilarious looking. I've never seen Conga. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell to expect, but uh, for the price, I, got it, uh, I had to get Conga. Um, then we have Scrapbook. This is a really crazy, brutal Eric Stanzi movie. This is one of the most disturbing movies. Kind of not really mentioned when people talk about disturbing movies, but it most definitely is. Saturn's core here. Um, man, the original uncut director's uh, version. Yeah, I would recommend checking out Scrapbook if you're into extreme films, you know. Um, then we have Vile 21, Science and Mother Nature Don't Mix. Oh shit, this looks super weird. This is VHS Shitfest. <laughs> I, I don't know much about this. It just looked weird. And uh, it's a good label. So I, I picked it up. A bizarre label for sure. And then we're going to hop into some of the television stuff here. Escape from Hellhole. Never seen this. Um, this is this one I had seen? I might have. Is this like uh, it's a women's prison movie if I'm not mistaken? Or is this, this one might be Indonesian. This one actually might be something a little bit different. This is probably not the one that Trauma put out at one point. If it is, I don't think it is. This looks better. But, uh, yeah. So, Escape from a Hellhole. I'll probably watch that when I get to 83. Then this. This is very exciting. I have the VHS of this. Shrek. Death House. This movie. This was a great SOV, man. This is a cool one. Very, very rare, man. Video Outlaw put this tape out. Had the old tape. Um, I never thought this would get a release on Blu-ray. I mean, it's an SOV, but I never thought it would get a, a wide release. It's very cool. Very cool to see people be able to see Shrek, man. That's crazy. It's a crazy world. Then we got Parasites here, which I watched a little bit ago. This is Chad Farron. He did Unspeakable. Um, Parasites is really good, man. This is a good movie. Uh, Low-budget horror film about a group of football players that get stranded in like uh, the city, rundown city, and a group of uh, homeless people start a war with them. Uh, the main homeless guy is, is played by uh, uh, Robert Miano. He's a bunch of he's in a lot of Abel Ferreira movies. This is a good one. This is a good low budget horror film. I, I'd recommend checking that out. Um, then we have America's Deadliest Home Video, um, which you know I've not actually seen this. I've heard about it for years. I know it's like a, a found footage kind of horror film deal, made to look like fake documentary kind of stuff, um, starring Danny Bonaducci. I, I know I think my friend Dave Z is a fan of this, so I, I mean I'll have to check this one out. Don't know too much about it really, except those the things I mentioned, but I'm, I'm interested for sure. And then we're getting ready for 82 here. We got the BFI release of The Appointment with Edward Woodward. Hear nothing but good things about this movie. Um, ordered it from Orbit DVD. So look forward to checking out The Appointment. And then last, a couple cheapies here. Interview with the Vampire on Blu-ray. Classic good movie, Neil Jordan. I like it. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Um, and then, of course, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton. Why not? Dirt cheap, never seen it. Looks cute. Sometimes you gotta laugh. Sometimes you gotta smile. Sometimes you gotta buy Burt Reynolds movies. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, we're out of here. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Thanks.